ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, this week I sit down with Robert, Mike, and Luke of Fatal Flight. We get into hunting the PNW. Uh, sharing the experience and some hunting family values. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with the boys from Fatal Flight. Gentlemen, good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. So we got Mike, Luke, and Robert on. Um, why don't you guys, I'll let you guys fight amongst yourselves as, you know, who's going to go first. But why don't you give us an intro and a little bit of background about, uh, about each of you boys. So I'm Michael McClellan. I'm from Vancouver, Washington. I uh, run heavy equipment for a living and work for Nutter. Um, there for a while, I was working for Jim Burnworth, the Western Extreme, and that's kind of how I got to know these boys. I was down hunting the Washington coast with Jim and one of his friends, and we ended up killing a pretty nice Roosevelt. And we pulled into one of the local hotspots here in town and, you know, Rob was, Rob was there and he came over and checked out the bull and we kind of just got to talking about hunting and our friendship kind of just expanded from there. Kind of easy to make those, uh, those bonds, man, when you start going hunting, <laughs> when you start talking about it, that's all she wrote. Just needs a little click. Yeah. You know, we just, uh, I don't know, hunting. You know, you, you go through friendships and certain things affect certain people differently. And, you know, at the time, Rob was pretty much hunting by himself because of a few things. And I was more so hunting by myself. And uh, so we just got to talking and like, hey, why don't we just win and all come together and, you know, go from there, see how this year goes. So we uh, we all started hanging out during the summer and he introduced me to Luke and a couple other guys and we had we had a great season we had fun so who's up who's up next robert or luke yeah i'll go yeah just uh luke thomason uh been reconstruction last few years and born and raised in southern washington and just grew up hunting fishing Met Robert uh, through uh, my brother-in-law. We went hunting on the east side a couple years ago, and kind of just clicked and started hunting each other. Heck yeah, Robert. Yeah, I've been a diesel mechanic most of my life, and um, just enjoy the outdoors and the the hunting. I've done pretty much my entire life, from eighteen years old, picking up a bow, and you know wanting to just hunt with my bow you know and that's where i don't know i have a thrive for bow hunting and 
a drive, a thrive, whatever it is. And, you know, it's, Undying yeah. obsession. I meet, you know, I meet these guys and they're all awesome people. And we all, you know, you meet them people that just click, you know, and that's, that's what I enjoy to do. So, so all you guys kind of brought it up. Um, and it may be a little premature on my part, but so kind of talk about fatal flight because, you know, I met, I met a couple of you guys up at hoodoo this year. Um, and, and the camaraderie, you could just see it. And then, you know, following you guys on social media, um, that's a big part of fatal flight and what you guys do. So why don't you guys talk about why that's so important um, and, and how hunting, in my opinion, right, hunting brings out the best in all of us. Um, there's some jack legs out there that just don't get it. But I think at large, the demographic will agree that it, it just brings out something good um, when you're out there and then sharing that experience. Yeah, that's, you know, and that's kind of where when we started this, you know, like Luke said earlier, a couple of years ago, we started, a, we went on the east side deer hunt together. And, you know, we, uh, two of us had already tagged out on our deer. And so I went up to this high spot and I was sitting up there glassing and Luke hadn't harvested his buck yet. And I'm sitting there and I spot this buck on this hillside. We get a hold of him on the radio and I'm watching this buck through the spot and scope. And I said, Hey, there's a buck over there. And so Luke's like, well, I'm a long ways from there. So I said, well, I'll watch this buck for you. And so he makes his way all the way down over there. He's like, I don't have a range finder. I don't know how far it is. And the guy that was with me is like, well, aim like six inches over his back and let him have it. And so he shoots and, you know, just to watch that through that spotting scope at like 1500 yards away. And Luke missed the buck on the first shot. And then the second shot, I actually watched the buck fall on the ground before I heard the bullet or the gun go off. You know, and Luke's just all hysterical. You know, I got a buck and, you know, and, and then get down to the truck and go get him and, you know, and everything. And it's just, you know, we were pretty much all tagged out then and there. And just to see everybody's faces, you know, we had a whole tailgate full of buckheads, you know. We were only there like three days. Yeah, it was a good season. But, you know, that's what it's, to me, that's what it's about is we're all working together, you know, having fun. You know, yeah, if we don't get a buck, we don't get a buck. We're out there making the best of it, and that's all that matters. Right. Sharing, sharing in that in that effort, um, I think, is a lot of what builds that bond, too. Um, everyone there can appreciate the amount of work that goes into it, and then to have a tailgate and everybody tagged out, man, that's, uh, that's like no other. I think it's super family oriented too, you know, kind of what we do is, you know, I've been around the outdoor industry for a while and, uh, you know, got to meet a lot of great people. And, uh, you know, when I stepped in, I really just wanted to help Rob, you know, kind of get his name out there and, you know, kind of get off our feet with, you know, getting recognized, I guess. And, uh, you know, like one prime example, we went over to over Eastern Oregon this year you know, and we hunted our butts off for a week. And, uh, you know, Rob was the only one to kill a bull, but it doesn't really to us matter who shoots the bull. It's just a matter of, you know, having fun and being out there. Right. And that, again, that involvement in that pursuit, you know, I feel like, you know, hunting can bring out the best of people and it can bring out the worst of people. And we just kind of got lucky with, our group of guys, you know, we all just work together great. And it's a team effort, you know. We all pack the animal, skin the animal. It, start to finish is a is a family ordeal, you know. So is that? So I hunt with a couple guys, but but I prefer to hunt solo, um, and that's just because I like to. I like to push myself. I like to pit myself against everything, um, and I and I love sharing camp. And, you know, I love helping, helping guys, but there seems to be, there, there's a handful of guys where you just can't make that connection. Um, how do you guys work through that? Well, you know, for, we love to call elk, right? 
And there's there's certain people that you can call elk with, and there's certain people that you just cannot call elk with. You know, if you don't work as a team, 90% of the chance, 90% of the time, it's not going to work out in your favor, right? And all of us have pulled in bulls together this year and never had a problem. You know, you work as a team, you kill as a team, you come back home as a team. You know what I mean? But, you know, it comes into when you do hunt solo, you know, my one of my good rosies that I killed around here, I was solo. It was way before I knew anybody really around here. You know, I had the whole family with me the night before. And I called this Roosevelt in right to the main line, right off the road. And uh, he winded me and I, my family, they got my, my daughter and my son and my wife, they got back in the rig and I was sitting there. I went after him and he ended up winning me. Well, long story short, the next day I go in there that morning by myself and I, and I had a chance at that bull and I, and I harvested that bull and I didn't have anybody around. I didn't know anybody. I called my wife and my wife drove my truck up there and me and my wife packed that bull all by ourselves. You know, so hunting solo can work in your favor. You know, at least you know that if that guy that's with you doesn't click with you, you know, if you're by yourself, at least you know there's nobody that's going to accidentally make a movement or make the wrong call or, you know, but it is, it's a group of guys that like we have that, you know, we drop into a, into a drainage after a bugle and bull. We know exactly what they're going to do. We know what my buddy's going to do. We know, you know, it's hard to explain. It's, you know, you don't have to give hand signals to tell someone to call. They just know when to do it. And we'll really click well, you know, I think this is, Go ahead. I was going to say, but that, and that's the part that I was getting at. It's unusual to have it, especially as, for the lack of a better phrase, as green as you guys are hunting together, um, to have, to have that much cohesiveness. There's a lot to be said about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I cut somebody off there and I'm not sure who that was. Well, it was Mike. You know, I was just saying like, you know, on our, our West side, Washington coastal bulls, you know, I think you can get away with a little more hunting solo, you know, because of the vegetation and it's thick and, you know, predominantly your shots are closer, but Rob's bull over East was a prime example of, you know, how you kind of need more than one person. The unit we were hunting, there was a lot more bulls to cows. The cow, the cow to bull ratio was higher and those bulls just did not want to fight. They bugle, but they didn't want to come in. So one guy would hang back and, you know, bugle and cow call the bull would respond and the other guy would sneak in, you know, it took us two or three days to finally figure out how to hunt those bulls. But when we did, it was, it was over, you know? Yeah. That, uh, like I said, man, that camaraderie is, is evident when you just meeting a couple of you guys, it's very obvious. So what, uh, how did fatal flight start? Why don't you give us some, some background on that and what you guys are looking, looking to do there. Well, that was just me and Robert. We are over east side hunting, and we got back after we killed all those bucks. And we always watched hunting videos and everything. And we're like, well, we enjoy hunting and like to share what we go through. So we're like, let's do it. And one thing led to another, and we just started it. And the biggest thing that I've always said is this year I was asked by a gentleman that um, I have a lot of respect for. and. He asked me, so why why did you start Fatal Flight? And I said, well, I want to show people what we do, and you know, and um, we do it in a family-oriented way, you know. We're, we're just a small-town group. We don't have big sponsors. We don't have, you know, we just have our family, you know. And we want to show you what, what we do with just our families. And that brings it that brings it kind of full circle to it's kind of I don't know <laughs> I'm trying not to be a a hole, um, but that's really what it's about, right? There's a lot of 
flash and glitz and glamour that uh, we all at some point get get semi enamored with. But it really amounts to bringing everything back to its roots and enjoying and enjoying that time outdoors with friends and family um, and just loving that that lifestyle and that, you know, that pursuit of that lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I'm not I'm not going to do this because I'm sponsored by this person or, you know, I'm not going to hunt this way and I'm not going to show off this or show off that or, you know, I have to get this on film. You know, there's so many opportunities we had this year that we didn't get on film. And it's, it's hard to get everything on film. Oh, man. It really is. Yeah, it is. That's and, that's some work, man. Guys that that commit to that. I wanted to film this year, and uh, man, I spent more days in the field this year than I have ever. And uh, man, I think I I might have got some cell phone video for story post. That <laughs> might have been <laughs> until about seven minutes out of you know f- close to forty some odd days. It, uh, it, it I love doing it, but man, does it take away? It just seems to take away from the experience a bit, in my opinion. Yeah, because like I, I always catch myself where, yeah, I'm gonna try to get the camera ready, but first thing in my mind is I'm gonna fill the freezer and yeah, <laughs> I don't think about turning the camera. I just want to shoot the bull. That's it. Yep, that is it. I have uh, an area that I've been hunting um, in our late season here, and it's uh, it's not a bad. It's a great area for for me down here. Um, it, it has very high densities compared to what I'm used to and I could have easily went in there it just something about carrying that tripod and that daggum camera and then it's self-filming that doesn't make it any easier um I just I don't know I just wasn't there this year man wasn't there but it is great to look look back on those memories man pull up YouTube or whatever and you know look back and, and remember that experience that way is second to none yeah, that's that's what my wife she harvested her first deer with a bow last year, and I was right behind her with 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 a camera, you know. So she gets to watch that video over and over, you know. And that's a memory that she'll have for the rest of her life, you know. And same with this year, you know, she got her deer this year and I'm right behind her with a camera, you know. And that's that that's what that's what matters, you know. I mean, yeah, I didn't get both of my bulls on camera this year, but you know. We were having fun, and that's all that mattered. So I'm going to start a little mess right now with you guys um, talking about, you know, everybody knows when to bugle and who's bugling and who's the best bugler. Who who has the calling down pat, man? That's a tough one. I get, you know, it all depends on what that bull sounds like, you know. Certain guys, you know, I'm not afraid to run a bugle or a cow call. You know, Michael, he prefers to bugle. He doesn't like to cow call. You know, and we all have our personal preferences. You know, it depends just the demeanor of that bull. You know, who the shooter is that day. You know, yeah. A lot of times we just go bull for bull, bugle for bugle. I've had the worst hunting bugles end up being the biggest bull I've ever seen in the woods. If I was a some new hunter with a Primos, but nope came right in it was a big six by six yeah that's but that's an interesting statement right when you talk about bugles right and you you listen to elk and and the inflections from elk to elk to elk are so much different um and and me being a newer elk hunter that was one of the things that i was worried about right is listening to elk and and, you know watching youtube and, and listen to all these sound bites and whatnot does it it doesn't matter at least in my head at this point it doesn't matter how good or bad another guy thinks it sounds um it's really about answering correctly it's timing yeah so is that is that the preferred chase with you guys is elk or is it just whatever whatever tags we got available that's what we're chasing doesn't matter yeah, we, we we like to go the east side. We we most of us normally rifle deer hunt. Um, we do a few of us do draw multi season deer. So in our state, you know, we can hunt all of archery season, muzzleloader rifle. We can hunt all the seasons with a multi season deer tag. And so 
I usually get a multi-season deer tag in case I'm running around the elk woods. You know, I see a nice buck standing there and I'm legal to take it. But we usually take it. We usually strive to take most of our rifle hunts, you know, east side. Um, Luke went over this year by himself and went over on the east side and where we normally go. And I drew a, I drew a pretty good rut buck tag this year so i kind of stayed home and deer season i think we all kind of did our own thing this year we just kind of wandered around and we got together here and there and went out every every day every other day or something like that and yeah I so mean, we, so if you head over east in washington what what are your opportunities there you have muleys is that just muleys, muleys and whitetails okay because we can't hunt our whitetail around here in southwest Washington because they're protected federally. So we, we're, we're allowed to go to the east side and hunt them over there. So, Luke, how did that, how did that deer hunt over east turn out for you? Uh, I ended up getting one there. Uh, I couldn't hunt the property that we normally hunt. I couldn't get a hold of the son that took charge of it. and Had a few nice bucks opening morning, but just couldn't get him on the right side of the fence so took the old man over there and it was nice to get him out hunting again and just had a we had a fun time yeah that's what matters man how about how long is that season uh over there's uh two weeks oh oh jeez that's... i went for four days yeah, i came a, home and that's a drop in the hat there man that's that's barely a season <laughs> That's most of our seasons around here, though. Yeah, Washington's kind of weird, right? When especially you have you have, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but each what do you have? Modern, early archery, uh, early muzzleloader, modern firearm, late muzzleloader, and then late archery. And so, can you pull how many of those tags can you pull? So, like here in California, I can only hold two deer, deer tags a year. So you can get one deer and one elk, and then you get two bear tags, two turkey tags in April. Damn, so you're limited. So if, if you know, like with Robert there, he's he's limited to that that blacktail tag, and Luke was limited to just that over east tag. Uh, we can hunt deer on either side. It doesn't matter. We have certain general seasons, then, uh, but a lot of the east side is draw only and but there's still a few over the counter spots over there, but you can transfer it over to Washington or the West side. Anyways. Yeah. A lot of our deer. So our elk are are not the deer, but the deer, we can hunt both sides of the state, but what they do is they divide it down the middle of the state for East and West side for elk, but for the deer, the East side seasonal open statewide, say whatever like the second weekend of october first weekend of october and then so it'll run for two weeks on the east side but it'll still be open for another two weeks on the west side so it's like a four-week season total for the rifle deer but the east side closes a lot sooner than the west side so we tend to you know we tend to plan like the first week to go over the east side then the closer it gets to halloween you know our Columbia River blacktail, they start getting, they start getting pretty rutted up. So that's when they start making mistakes and you know chasing those, and it's really fun to watch them. So Michael, did you uh, did you chase deer this year as well? I did. I uh, I hunted modern firearm deer with my son. Um, you know, he's he's almost four, and that's kind of our our hunt that we do together his legs aren't quite big enough to go chase elk with dad so we go uh we go deer hunting together heck yeah four years old man that's a that's an interesting time to have them in the woods (laughs) for sure but he started (laughs) he loves it oh yeah that that's one thing about it that's and it's weird thing as a father right there's you feel like a superhero when you do something right in the woods with your boy and he looks up at you with those eyes and uh man oh man 
Like he loves it. I got a big old straight axe with wheeler and stuff. And we just, we go not that far from my house. And, uh, you know, he gets to ride in the front seat in his car seat and lug out the window and I have little binoculars. And, you know, it's just that that's his time to go with dad. So that's a hunt that I dedicate to him, you know, every year up until Halloween weekend. And then, you know, I'll quit messing around and, Go find a big buck and hopefully kill him. You know, what's the uh, what's the age for youth in in Washington as far as starting? You just got to be able to take the test by yourself. I I got mine when I was eight. I think you're limited to six now. Okay, I, I think you can't start until you're six. But don't don't quote me on that. And and is that? So like here they uh I want to say my boy got his when he was 7. Um I was able to read the test to him. Um but he had the answer of course and then I believe it's 12 years old for big game. I can't remember it's been a while. Um what can he start hunting at that age? As soon as you pass your test and he can start hunting big game in the whole nine. The whole yeah. nine. Oh wow. Good on Washington. That's uh, I I love places like that, man. The earlier to me, the earlier you can get the kids out there, the more of a chance we have to retain them in that. Um, with all the distractions that are around nowadays, man, it's uh, hugely important to get them out there early. Get them off the video games and get them outdoors. <laughs> so, you know, scrolling scrolling through the uh, the Fatal Flight Instagram feed, man, there's a, a bit of a tradition. Um, and I'm not sure if it's just Robert or if it's all of you, but I, I want to hear about it, man. I, I thought that was probably one of the best things I've, I've ever seen um, as far as respect towards an animal uh, that we laid down is that last bugle. Oh, my last, yeah. That's a tradition that I've had. Um, that's kind of a, that was the first time I've ever actually wanted to put it on film. But that's, yeah. That was something that's kind of always, always set me back. I've always done it, you know, when nobody's really around. You know, you always got that special hat that you always wear when you go hunting. That's kind of my that's my tradition to that bull once once that bull's done and you know he's he's given his life to me so i'm gonna give him one last bugle yeah that's all it i guess the part that that struck me was the fact that you know bull's down he's processed he's in the game bags um and he's still getting it i i thought that was that was awesome. I mean, there, there's no other word for me to, to describe that, man. I was like, you know what? I get it. Um, I'll probably steal that thunder, too, because that's, uh, yeah, that's phenomenal, man. Yeah, so the crazy thing about that is, right, like, Robert shot the bull. We got him skinned and quartered and dealt with. And there was, like, a ridiculous amount of bulls beagling in that drainage. And, you know, so we got everything packed up and, Rob's like, hey, you know, it's time. So he grabbed out that esophagus and ripped a bugle off. And, like, I'm not even kidding you, dude. Like, 150 yards behind us, a bull just torched off. And then it was like, well, do we grab another bow and try to go shoot that one? Or do we just get this one off the mountain, back to the trucks, and, you know, play again tomorrow? But we decided just to set the bow down and get that bull to the cooler and you know pay our due respect and taking care of not not losing ounce of meat and you know we ended up playing again tomorrow and it just didn't work out yeah that's a that's a hell of a that's a hell of a tradition man yeah that was i was kind of nervous i was kind of nervous about posting that one because you know some people can take that in the wrong way you know (laughs) i don't for me, I don't know how, right? And and to me, it was it, it was a respect thing for the animals. So you know, screw them if they did. I mean, we're not going to make everybody out there happy. But I I thought that that was something that that was it, something it, spectacular, man. It, it, yeah, that's all right. That was kind of my tradition, and 
you know i wanted to share it yeah so. no that was awesome man i i can't even imagine anyone having a problem with that um bet you if enough people saw it you'd see more of that we got we got to pay respect to them you know that's it man it's the, i mean you know we talk about you know respect to the animal in terms of using every bit that we can um you know a, a one shot one kill type thing right a, a swift death um I what you do what you did that just it, it made it next level for me um it was almost like those traditions I think that's New Zealand where they put the uh put the uh grasses in the animal's mouth um and say some words over it you know putting our hands on it take and, and saying a prayer that that those things are all great but I don't know what it was about that uh about that bugle man that was powerful to me that's awesome yeah thank you So you guys are, so you said you're hunting over east, um, you're hunting that southwest corner, and then a bit in Oregon, where else you guys? Uh... Yeah, a few years back, we did a trip to Idaho. Um, we're, Idaho's, Idaho's fun, but there's a lot of wolves over there, you know? <laughs> so we, we just kind of steered away from the Idaho thing this year. And, we really wanted to test the waters in Oregon. And so I used to hunt Oregon years ago, but then I moved back up to Washington. And I think Michael's hunted Oregon before with Jim. And, you know, it was just, it's a challenge. We've been talking about going some other places, but we're kind of in a family time right now until after the new year. And then the planning's going to start really hammering. I mean, where, yeah, else, I, where else I would you go? Time. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, I've, you know, spent a lot of time in Alberta, you know, hunting bears, Colorado, elk, deer, Oregon, deer and elk, California for, you know, I've, I've been kind of all over the place with Jim, but um, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm personally, I think I'm about done with Washington. So I think I might, might venture, uh, venture Colorado or Oregon next year, maybe. Yeah. I'm, I'm itching to hunt Oregon, man. I, I, I really want to get on the coast and chase those rosies. You know, I, I took a, uh, Oh, what is our season? Like 30 something days long. And I hunted every single day of it. Um, Rob, I think, had two weeks off. So the first two weeks, I was pretty much hunting solo. And, uh, you know, he'd jump over across the across the river after work. And it was fun. The Oregon coast is definitely a lot different than the Washington coast. There's a lot more state land to hunt. There's pretty much nothing's gated, you know, compared to where Washington is. There's a lot more elk. Our season's better over there. Pretty much everything about Oregon <laughs> better than Washington, unfortunately. Um, it's so, crazy the genetics. Crazy the genetics that are across the river. Man, there's some yeah. uh, there's some amazing animals that come out of Oregon this year. It's predominantly that the age class of the animals are just you know just better. We got that hoof rot a few years ago, and that devastated our population. How did they did they semi get that in check, or how does that how did that pan out? Oh, uh, they're still fighting it. Still, quite a few herds there. Seven head, you know, pretty small herds here and there, especially in the valleys. Yeah, that's uh, that's horrible to see, man. It devastates herds. When ten years ago, there'd be. I remember driving down the valleys, you know, down here when I was a kid, and. If you didn't see a couple hundred elk, you know, by seven in the morning, you were looking with your eyes closed, you know, and now it's all hunting, hunt your butt off all day to maybe see 10, you know, the herds just aren't what they used to be. The, the rifle hunters down here pretty much 
anything with legal three points is doesn't make it, you know? That, that seems to be, I don't want to say everywhere, but that seems to be kind of a common theme um, across most of the West, man. I mean, there's, there's, you know, you start looking at Wyoming and in my opinion, Wyoming is, I'm going to say they're the best at their management and, and we'll call it keeping people out. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever been there, but uh I'm hoping for it this year. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not hard to get there, but it's more difficult than than most of the western states. It's like Colorado, you know. There's more elk in one county in Colorado than Washington has in all of Washington. Yeah, and you got you more. Know? And I'm speaking from experience this year. You got more hunters <laughs> hitting Colorado than. Uh, I'm going to say four to five Western states combined. I mean, it is, you want to talk about crowds chasing those numbers. It is, uh, it's insane. And as much as I enjoy Colorado, I mean, some of the most beautiful country you'll ever put your boots on. I don't know that. I mean, for an OTC experience, it's great, but I don't know that it's worth the numbers, man. And then their, their muzzleloader season starts, um, about two weeks after archery season starts. And it is, it is rough, man. I mean, you got dudes bugling from all over the place. It's just, it's insane. No, that's how Washington is too. You know, unfortunately, if you're not a local resident and you don't pretty much live with the elk, it's it's fairly tough to get one here. You know, this is definitely not a place that I would recommend an OCT hunt. And, it, and it's not it's not that easy to. Uh, all those tags as a non-resident up there either well washington state's pretty good i mean i've been talking to freddie you know and he's you know he was talking about coming up here and he's like well how was it take to do it and you know honestly it's just it's just money you know i mean that's it money and (laughs) that's it it, money as as elk hunters man that's all unfortunately that's all it is that's the two elements man that uh that matter the most jeez you know if you want to if you want to go on the east side and put in for a good quality bowl you know us us washingtonians you know it takes us 17 18 years to draw a quality bull tag for the east side but you want to hunt roosevelt buy an over-the-counter tag and Put your boots in the drainage and get twenty feet from, you know. Mm-hmm. Damn, it takes that. That sounds like here in California, man. Seventeen, I think it's seventeen max points. Usually around twenty-two to twenty-four to draw. It's a once-in-a-lifetime hunt here, and that's not for that's not for uh, a trophy class elk. That's any elk. Wow. Yeah, it's it uh it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. But if you want a grand slam, you gotta come here. So we got the Thule, so what uh Robert, what did you hunt when you were down here? And where? When I was down in California? Yes, sir. Yeah. I think Michael said he was in California. Oh, was it Michael? We were down out of San Jose, I believe it was. And uh we were just hunting pigs. Yeah. That's a fun chase. Yeah, it was it was um it was fairly miserable to be honest with you. <laughs> was it uh what time of year? It was in the dead of summer. I think oh, yeah. I wanna say it was July or something like that. August. It was right right before we left for oak season. Okay. So yeah, you're talking hundred and ten to hundred and fifteen. Yeah, we were uh we were hunting in our boxers. <laughs> it, it was brutal, man. Yeah, it, uh, th- those early seasons here are rough. Either, but, but the pig at that time of year is great, man. You find the water, the limited water sources, and, and you're usually into them. Yeah, it was, you know, it was an all-new experience for me, chasing pigs on the open grass hillsides with no cover and, you know, spotting, stalking them with a huge video camera for TV, you know. It was a whole new new game for me compared to what I was used to hunting. We've seen a lot of coyotes. Yeah, that we don't have a shortage of, man. You know, we yeah, there was a pile of those. I'd love to come back and do a dog hunt down there. Yeah, getting to the right area. I mean, we have 
even in even in our urban areas um but we're getting to the point where it's you know you'll see five six seven a day just you know run r- riding around the neighborhood yeah it was it was, it was neat down there for sure predator protection state at its finest it's <laughs> crazy man we so we uh we lost mountain lions i don't know how many years ago that was um in the 90s and then bears they pulled the dogs off a of bear recently um we lost bot well we lose bobcat as of january 1st they say until 2025 which you know we all know when we lose it we'll never get it back um mountain lions are have gone crazy our deer herds are suffering there's no management of the predators so at some point our herds are going to be dwindled even worse than they are now which is unfathomable to me um uh, it's a weird place that, to be that, as a hunter that's, that's sad with the predators you know and that brings up a good point about the spot that luke and i on on the east side you know with those cats it we go to this spot notoriously every year is big huge canyon and um, we brought my boy over there last year and luke and another guy they were to the right of us and luke can take it from here you know yeah so uh, two cats and a bunch of kittens and yeah my brother-in-law he missed him at 350 and i ran over there and figured he killed a big buck and he says oh i just missed a cat walking towards me. I'm like, you missed him. Then we're sitting there and uh, so I'm going to walk down and look for blood and took one step and next thing you know, the cat was right in front of me about 350 yards and I didn't even think about dialing my scope. I just threw it up and shot and missed too. Yeah, at least you have the, at least you have the opportunity to take them. <laughs> we're that, that area that I'm hunting on this late season. Um, we had an unusual snowfall and I was able to get out a couple days in that snow. And this area is probably, I'm going to be generous and say a half mile square on the bottom. And I found for sure four separate sets of tracks and then went back the following week, found another set. Um, and I'm thinking, cause there's, there's a, a big old Tom, um, there's a lioness with a cub and then one other kind of medium sized print. So, you know, probably a small Tom or another lion by herself and found a fifth. And, uh, I mean, you're talking half a square mile with all those cats, man. Yeah. I was talking to a farmer, uh, there and he had, a uh, five cats in his trail camera in his backyard. It sucks. And, the, and you notice the deer population in that canyon that we always hunted. We always got some pretty nice mule deer out of there and we went up there two years in a row opening day and not seen one deer then always seen was those cats yeah it's uh i don't know it frustrates me man because it you know with without that management i mean what what happens that it hurts so you're talking you know one a week one deer a week for for each of those lions. I, I I honestly don't know how I am in the number of deer that I've been in this season in that spot. It, it is uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I mean, fifty two. Call it four of them at at, at fifty two. That's over two hundred deer. Um, yeah, it, it, we just don't stand a chance down here, man. Don't stand it's a like, chance. It's like that up here too. Yeah, I uh, I strive for killing big black tails. You know, it's one of my my bread and butter. It's one of my favorite things to do. I've killed multiple, you know, bucks over 140 inches, and uh, I've got a spot up in the Cascades that I go hunt. And uh, you know, I've, this year was our everybody's first year kind of hunting together. And I was kind of bragging to Rob about it. I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, you got to come down, you know, to where a little closer to where I'm at. You know, you got to come hunt these bucks with me. And, uh, you know, he had this good buck tag here. So he, he opted to stay. Well, I took, you know, I took my son and one of my buddies up to this spot. And I didn't see a freaking deer, man. And it was, it was rough. There was cat tracks everywhere. And, you know, there, there was zero 
deer sign. Yeah, that now can you guys hunt cat with dog up there? No, no. Oh, there you go. Yeah, no hound hunting, no bear baiting, no predator management whatsoever. We, I think our cat, I think our cat ends the first, or cougar ends the first of the year, but then it, it's technically open, but in certain units you always have to call and check um, to see if the quota has been filled, basically. So, so many cats are killed out of this unit and you plan on hunting that unit, they can close that unit down, but the one next to it could be open. What's, what, do you know what the state quota is per year? Or is that fluctuating heavily? I think it, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it goes off GMU unit. You know, so each each unit has its own quota, and once the quota is met, then they shut it down. Yeah, I wish we had any kind of quota down here on them. Any kind would be better than what we have, man. Nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing. So. uh What's the plan for Fatal Flight, man, in this next year? You guys talking about, you know, getting getting plans going. Anything that uh, has you guys looking at it early? I'm really looking forward to – I got a few points for Wyoming now. I'd like to eventually be able to drill over there. But just a gamble at that point. I've got uh, nine or ten points for Oregon. So I've been kind of looking at the book with Rob and, you know, everybody and maybe deciding, well, do we do a rifle hunt over there? You know, put it in as a group and maybe draw, draw a bull tag over there and go bang on some bulls with rifles or do we just put in for more point savers and, you know, kind of do what we, we all know to do. Yeah, because Oregon, I mean, and then that's the plus, right? They have a really good over-the-counter opportunity along, um, on that west side of that five, man, um, with the rosy numbers. So are you looking looking going over east for the Rockies there? Or? Yeah. Yeah, if we were to do it with rifles, it would definitely be over east somewhere. Yeah, because they're, uh, I'm, like I said, I've been looking at it, and I, I, unless Wyoming – Let's me come back. That's I, I'll probably end up on that Oregon coast next year, man. Rob, you should hit you should hit uh, good old Freddie up, man. He has some uh, he has some remarkable bulls. Uh, and the year. funny thing was, is, well, wait, that's funny you say that because during during elk season, me and him were messaging back and forth a lot, you know. And I was in some area that he hunted and. You know, he'd be, he'd move over into that area, and we'd kind of message back and forth. And I love that guy, but we we tried to meet up this year, but it just didn't happen. I was really bugging him. I was really bugging him to come up and you know do a late season hunt with me up here in Washington, but it wasn't. It just we just couldn't make it. We just couldn't make it happen. Yeah, but, he has but, a that one humpback bull. I don't know if you if you saw that. I mean, it was, it's like a camel with antlers, man. That thing was huge. And uh, I don't know, I forget he told me the story, but he was like 12 yards from that thing. Yeah, and then I believe he went over to Idaho, too. Yeah, yeah, he went to Idaho on a rifle hunt. Said he was going to, supposedly he left his 7 mil in the woods somewhere there. <laughs> Said if he didn't kill anything, he was leaving that damn rifle. He thought it was bad luck. Yeah, we were t- we were actually just messaging today, and, and he says, "Well, we all we all ought to get together and do an elk hunt together." So as it says, "You've been itching to come up here in Roosevelt, huh?" Yeah, yeah. He and I had been talking about it, actually trying to put together a pig hunt down here for uh, spring of twenty twenty. Talking about coming down. So, um, are you guys using that game changer? His call. I did this year. Yes. Yeah. What do you yep. think? Of, what do you think of that thing? I love it. I, I, I have no words. I have no nothing against it. I was actually pretty disappointed when I lost it packing out my Washington bowl. Oh man! Yeah, it I, fell out. My, it fell out of my little hoop pocket on the side of my bino harness, and I messaged Freddie and said, "Hey, I lost it." And he says, "I'll get you another one." Yeah, um, he, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was. I Walked right into that bull in Washington and pulled that thing out and didn't even 
that bull didn't even question it. He just walked right into me. Isn't it crazy how that how that little freak of a invention just cleans up the sound from the diaphragm? It, it is unreal, man. How it cleans that sound up. That that bit of back pressure that latex puts on it is just unbelievable to me. Yeah, and if you if you can do like us Roosevelt hunters, you know, a lot of us will, you know, you might only hear just that few little chuckles down in the drainage. Mm -hmm. You know, Roosevelt sometimes won't really bugle for. You'll just hear that real light chuckle way down the bottom of that drainage, and you get down in that drainage and you pull that game changer out and you flip it around upside down and you chuckle through the bottom of it like that. Game over. So you're talking chuckling through the the big end. Yeah. And there's something about something about that latex, the way in their back pressure when it when it flows in and out. That's uh, it's an amazing little product. And Freddie's got. I'm glad I got a chance to meet Freddie and use his game changer. Yeah, he's a he's a really that's awesome. a stand up dude right there, man. That guy is a, that's a sweetheart of a man. I don't know how that sounds, Freddie Lowe, but <laughs> <laughs> but he re but he really is, man. He's just and that's the thing, right? Is with with the the podcast and and with you know having these networks through social media and YouTube and things like that, you just meet some really good freaking people. Um, and when you do, you try and you know you try and hold on to them. Um, and and Freddie's just he's just one of those dudes, man. He's just uh, he's unreal. And he just happens to have this sweet little, <laughs> this sweet little amp. So, uh, what are you guys looking at? So, we're constantly, constantly evaluating ourselves in the woods, man. Um, what are you guys focused on improving for next season? What's, what's the weak points that you're that you're working on? Mine is just getting time. I'm going to try to take a lot more time off work and dedicate myself more to the woods this year. So working all the time. Yeah, mine's kind of the same thing. I mean, I guess for me, it'd be practice. <laughs> I mean, as horrible as it sounds, you know, I was a national champion, you know, three-time national champion with a bow and arrow. And, this year, I just, I left my bow at Rob's house for two months. I was working out of town and, you know, it was like a week before season. I grabbed it and sighted it in his backyard and went to Oregon and missed two of the, the biggest bulls I've ever seen in my life, you know, at distances that are freebies, right. you know. Chip shots. That's always the ones that kick us in the butt, though. You know, it was just just the the lack of practice on my part, you know. But that 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 speaks volumes though man because you get and we see it all the time right guys are and this is not a bash but guys will go and they're like oh season's coming i'm shooting arrows i got two weeks the fact that you were a national champion two time you said three three time <laughs> there you go <laughs> and and the lack of preparation affected you hey guys you know listen to this <laughs> it, it it takes more than a couple weeks it's weird though with archery man how that confidence level can come way down without those reps yeah absolutely like me and robert try to go to all 3d shoots we were over there in hoodoo and yeah you practice all season and yeah it comes down to that five seconds and you know, and you can't say that I didn't have my chances over there because the first, you know, two weeks Robert was working, I was hunting, you know, and I'd, I'd locate bulls and I'd literally just call him on the phone and be like, hey, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and he'd be like, well, go kill him. Like, uh, I'll wait for you, you know. So a lot of times I just turn around from a bugling bull waiting for my buddy to get off work at four o'clock so we could hunt him in the evening together, you know. Could I have dropped on there and killed that bull? Absolutely. I've got him on video, you know, running 700 yards across a mountain, you know, standing 100 yards below me. And I just didn't go down there and kill him because I wanted Robert 
to experience that and I wanted to get it on film, you know? And that happened <laughs> numerous times, you know? I I didn't harvest an elephant organ last year because of my own doing, you know? Because I was more focused on helping a buddy get his than I was mine, you know? Right back to where we started, though, with the camaraderie and the experience, man, and the important parts of that, right? And, and, and two of you guys described it as family. Yeah. You know, and a lot of it, too, is it was, it was brutally hot for the first couple days, you know? It would have been unethical for me to drop down the mountain, shoot that bull, you know, and by the time Robert or anybody else could get there, that bull would be spoiled. You know, okay. I'm going to ask a question there. What's brutally hot for the PNW? It was well in the nineties, but the humidity was, you know, you know, your bone sour starts, starts to happen after, you know, three, four hours and that kind of heat, you know? So if you don't make it, you know, a 12 ring shot, you know, you figure you give him an hour, you're by yourself. So you're dealing with the 800 pound bull takes him an hour to skin him and quarter him by yourself and bone him. You got an hour to get him to a cooler or he's spoiled, you know, and just happens to be where we were hunting. There was no really big rivers or creeks that have constant airflow through them, you know? So even if I did hang the meat, there was no, no circulation. Yeah. And that, right? that's kind of our, our early season here. We're dealing with, <laughs> 100 to 115, 116 in our deer season. You know, and we don't hunt for horns, right? Like that's that's just kind of our motto. We hunt, we hunt to, to eat all year, you know? And it would just, nothing would make us more sick than, you know, losing an animal because of a, a poor decision that we make, you know? That's just something we strive for. I strive for it. But that, but that's usually important, man, because there's a lot of lack of thought process when it comes to things like that when we're, when we're a field. And, and those, those types of decisions leave us with years and years and years of regret. It is, uh, there's nothing worse than, than having meat go bad on you. Because Absolutely. of that stuff, that that sucks. So time, so so time wise, um, I think two of you guys said you're in construction, right? Yeah, yeah. How you pull time out of that? Because <laughs> I'm in the I'm just, in the same boat. Just take it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it is what it is. It would not be the first job I've quit for elk season. <laughs> <laughs> it be the last. You know what I mean? <laughs> Working seven twelves all year. I think the boss can get rid of me for a couple weeks. Seven twelves. Yeah. Construction is seasonal, right? Like, especially where we live. You know, and the type of construction I do is a little bit different than what uh luke here does i think you know but down kind of where i live i live about an hour and a half from rob and luke but i mean we get some serious rain man and you know the dirt that we work in is you know granulate granulated rock with clay around it so when it rains it's, i mean you're three feet deep in slop mm -hmm. what do you know so what iron do you run i run a cat 345 I run a, um, like right now we're building a 300 house subdivision. I'm digging main line, putting in water main. But, you know, right now in the wintertime, we're only working 30, 35 hours a week, which isn't nothing to compare to working 80 hours in the summer. Yeah, see, we don't, we don't get those breaks here, man. If we, if we see a couple weeks, um, through the winter off we're uh we're doing pretty good it's non-stop for us the never-ending summer right yeah that's how it is for me i work all year round and we just boss is pretty cool about getting us time off if we want it because we get burned out working that much 12 months out of the year and 
Yeah, it's nice. Uh, you know, so I'm a I'm a heavy civil superintendent. So it's nice to have those those companies um, that that appreciate you know you having your your time to do you know chase the things you want your family vacations things like that. Yeah, that's what I do. My my company is actually based out of Chico, California. What? Who do you work for? Uh, J. E. McCamus. But we're uh, building the South Jetty there in uh, Warrington down mouth of Columbia right now. Then I'm up in Alaska, catch can doing underwater blasting and dredging up there. But. Damn. That, the blasting sounds like fun, man. I've only been around that a, maybe a handful of times. Never underwater. Well, yeah. It's something new. Our first job we've done doing it. We mostly just dredge the Oregon coast and up the Columbia River and up the Washington coast. Well, shoot, boys. Um, anything that we missed you guys want to touch on? Any uh, last words from Fatal Flight? Maybe the 2020 outlook and what to watch out for? I think we just we got some some content that might come out after the first of the year. You know, some pictures and a little bit more video might want to just keep your eye on it once you guys drop uh drop the youtube the website i know you guys said uh did some work with bendable products and got some bugle tube holders and whatnot made up so why don't you get all that stuff on there and where folks can find that yeah they, they definitely definitely work on that we uh that's been bendable guys they're pretty awesome dudes for what they've done for us. Where where can you find them? Those tube holders. What'd you guys do? You guys did the tube holders. Did you do the uh, reed pouch as well? Yeah, they they kind of did that for us for uh, for doing a few things for them and um yeah that's they um they only sent me so many of them so I've only got a couple of them left but yeah. And uh, biggest shout out we got to have is is our brought in guy, um, Radical Archery Designs. Um, they're really they're not really known through a lot of people, but those products that the, the, the I, I'm even stuttering over it because I mean you know I I harvested two bulls in two states in two weeks with one broadhead. Which uh, which head are you shooting from from Radical? The Tycon 125. Yeah, because that's not the first time I've heard you talk about them. I I can't remember. I can't remember if that was at Hoodoo. Were you shooting them then? Because you were ranting and raving about them somewhere. I don't know if I was shooting. I wouldn't be shooting them at Hoodoo. No, we but I'm just saying, were you shooting them about then? Because I remember you talking about them before. Yeah, I might have just got. They might have just picked up some of them and started shooting them. About the time I went to Hoodoo there, and um, yeah, it's just I've never had a I've never had a fixed blade, a big head like that, just fly, you know, fly the way that they do. And that titanium ferrule is God. That's money, you know. I, I didn't even technically have to change the blades after I shot my first bull in Washington, but I just threw new blades on it and went and hunted Oregon with it. And the the devastation that that thing does, I mean, just blood on contact, blood on the exit. I've never seen a broadhead that, you know, you, you, you track an animal 40, 50 yards and you're looking for a drop of blood and then the trail starts, you know, that blood is instant. It's just pouring out both sides. And there's numerous of our friends that, you know, they they listen to what we use and they, hey, you know, I want to try that. And another buddy of mine that we actually hunted Oregon with too, he he shot his bull opening day. And he's a he's a phenomenal slick trick. He never goes away from slick tricks. And he screwed one of them tycons on and he harvested a bull. And he's like, wow. I mean, it just sprayed out the back of him when he clean pass through. And he's like, I've never seen so much blood in my life. 
Well, gents, uh, I appreciate the time greatly. Um, it was good catching up with you guys. I know Robert and I had talked about doing this whew, right around Hoodoo. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think the I think what did you say? We're gonna have to get you on the podcast. And I said no. And he kind of looked at me and I said, We have to get us all on the podcast. Heck yeah. But again, I mean that that is what makes following you guys uh a great thing, man. Like I said, that that camaraderie and then as you guys stated, and I'm gonna state it before, man, those family values. Um you know, crossing that family line, you know, of, of friends we meet a field and that camaraderie shares hunters, man. It's awesome. It's going to be a fun season. I think we're going to explore a new place and it's going to be fun. Oh. Hopefully a lot of elk are going to hit the dirt. Well, I look forward to following along and watching you guys, man. I wish you guys the best for the new year and your families and, uh, you know, stellar 2020 season. Yeah, very late Christmas. Yeah, thank you. for listening follow and tag us on instagram at western contours jump on itunes google play and podbean subscribe leave us a comment and don't forget to hit that five star rating we appreciate the support and until next time lay them down hey everyone this is andrew with sasquatch fuel if you're heading into the backcountry this season and you need some meals that don't bog you down, check out sasquatchfuel.com. Our 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head to sasquatchfuel.com. Hey guys, enter code Western Contours at checkout and save a few bucks off your order.